we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Well, good morning. I hope that you are well and blessed. How many of you got a really good full night's sleep? Yes, uh, y'all went to bed a little earlier last night because of lose a little more sleep Sunday, right? Um, well, I'm delighted that you're here, you're here in worship, and that we get to be uh, together in worship. Uh, last week, we began a brand new sermon series and Reverse series. If you don't know, Reverse um, in the First Baptist family is a simple word that you, we use to describe our rhythm in the Word of God together. And so our Reverse passages, this, these next 13 weeks, come out of the book of Daniel. And so we've been inviting everyone to read a, a chapter out of the book of Daniel every week. Last week it was chapter 1, this week is chapter 2. And so our hope is that you read that on your own as a part of your devotion rhythm of listening to the Word of God on your own. And then we say come to Bible study and small group um, where you can talk about Daniel chapter 2 together. And then you get to hear um, preaching from Daniel chapter 2. So if that's not a part of your rhythm, if you're not a part of the reverse rhythm, let me invite you to be a part of that. It's a sweet thing for us as a church family to literally be on the same page together and to know that God speaks through his word uh, by the power of the spirit of God and he speaks to us and then he speaks to us together. That's a really, really cool thing. But so we began this series last week in Daniel chapter one and we walked away with two significant, um, one is a significant truth and the other is response from Daniel, and then um, a beckoning of God to us to say, is this your response too? And so the truth that we kind of upheld in Daniel chapter 1 is that God very clearly and triumphantly says is that I hold all of human history in my hands. There's not a king or a nation that I have to catch up to. I, I guide it all, I purpose it all, and I'm guiding human history to my end. Right, And the gospel informs us as to what that end will be. But Daniel obviously was caught up in a situation and a circumstance um, that was not pleasant at all. R ripped from his home, um, he had to make a significant decision based upon the things that he knew about God. And he had to decide who his loyalty was to and whose allegiance was. Was it to be this Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, or was it to be to his... God. And so Daniel, we know, said with clarity that I love my God and I will follow him alone. And that's the invitation for us, is to follow a God and be loyal to a God and our allegiance be given to a God who holds all of human history in his hands. And now we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 2. Before we get to Daniel chapter 2, let me just offer a word of welcome. If you are new with us today, Thank you for being here. We are glad that you walked through these doors to worship with us, and we never want to take that for granted. Uh, right in front of you, uh, if you're new with us in the chair in front of you, there should be a little card that says connect here. Would you just take a moment and honor us by filling that out? 
Uh, we would love to have your, your name so that we can uh, begin this relationship with you. And at the close of our time with worship, I'm going to invite you, um, I'm going to be back there in one of those doors. I'm going to invite you to bring that card that you filled out, hand it to me so I can connect a name with a face um, and so that we can begin a friendship with you in this place among this family. We're glad you're here. But let's all stand together. We're going to read uh, Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses 20 through 23. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. You may be seated. Well, chapter 2 is very much about a king's matter. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, Lord, we do uh, thank you and bless you in the same way that Daniel has. We rejoice in your mercy and your revelation to us that we are not left in the dark because you are the God of light. Help us to see today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, if you've already read Daniel chapter 2, which I hope you have, you, we, you know that Nebuchadnezzar begins this, this chapter very, very troubled. The Word of God tells us that he has had a dream, a dream that has set him on edge. He has lost sleep because of this dream. It startled him in the middle of the night. He could not shake it. He could not let it go. He knew that, that someone was trying to say something to him profound in this dream, and he was desperate to know it. He was frustrated, even angry, because he was desperate to know the meaning of this dream. And so, as kings do, he gathered around him a council. Uh, some would call these the wise men of the Babylonian kingdom. The word of God is very explicit that these were magicians, sorcerers, enchanters, and the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans were known to have a very special gift as dream interpreters. And they're going to be the ones speaking back to Nebuchadnezzar in a moment. But he gathers around himself these wise men. Now, the Babylonian Empire was very much entrenched in the dark arts. Um, they um, worshipped multiple gods, uh, Baal being kind of their premier, premier, uh, premier god. Uh, but they gave themselves to gods, sought to manipulate gods, and they believed that even the gods would give dreams to kings and others. But the magicians and enchanters and the sorcerers would seek to manipulate the gods in order to interpret dreams or to get the gods to do what they wanted. Those are the kind of people that he gathered around himself. And he told them, he said, I'm desperate, I'm desperate for you to interpret this dream for me. And of course they say, well, long live the king, tell us what your dream is. Which is what they were used to doing. They were used to kings telling them or relaying them their dreams so that they can interpret. But Nebuchadnezzar gives a very unreasonable and unusual 
request. He says, listen, uh, not only do I want you to interpret my dream, but in order for me to know that you have the ability to interpret correctly, I want you to tell me the dream that I had itself. Tell me my dream, then interpret it. They were not prepared for that kind of request. It was unreasonable. And so in Daniel chapter uh, 2, verse 7, again they implore the king. They answered a second time and said, Come on, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. If you jump down to verse 10, they tell him, No king has ever asked this of us before. No king has ever asked us to tell him the dream and then interpret it. This is, this is unusual and unreasonable. Why do this to us? Well, we know that the king, under threat of death, he promises them, if you can't do this, I will, I will tear you limb from limb. The king does not budge. He says, but if you can tell me my dream and interpret it, I will reward you greatly. This is an incredible, unusual, unreasonable request. But what we find early on in this story, that even magicians, sorcerers, enchanters, and Chaldeans can speak the truth. And they do speak the truth. In verses 10 through 11, what is their response to King Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, he, they say to them, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter, or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now first, let me just tell you what the normal process was that I alluded to before. The king would relay the dream, and the Chaldeans being equipped and having the experience to interpret dreams, they actually had what they called dream manuals, or books of dreams, that would uh, have historical dreams, and then they would identify similarities and signs and symbols with that dream, and it kind of became a dream decoder manual. So once the king would relay the dream to them, they could go to this manual and say, well, there was a bird in that dream, there was this in that dream, and then the signs and symbols would be defined in the manual. That wasn't available to them. And they begin to speak truth. They say to the king, this is impossible. This is impossible. No one's ever requested of this before. But simply, when you boil it down, the Chaldeans say to King Nebuchadnezzar, our gods do not speak or reveal anything to us. And they're absolutely true. They were speaking truth to the king, saying, our gods don't speak. We have to try to manipulate our gods. Our, our gods don't relate to us. They don't speak to us. Our gods don't speak. The king is furious. He is furious, and he begins to set in motion good on his threat to kill all the wise men. And he sets out not just these people that have gathered around him as his wise men in that immediate council. We don't know how many there were, or, but he says, I'm just going to take out all the wise men, all the magicians, and all of Babylon, which includes Daniel. 
Now remember, Daniel and his companions, his friends who are young, 16 to 18 years old, likely they're in 18 and 19 year old range right now, uh, they are in year three of their training. So they're not a part of this official council yet. They will graduate at some point and become part of the council. But they're in this re-education and training in order that they might serve the king. But they're included in all the magicians are wise men in Babylon. And so the king Nebuchadnezzar commissions the captain of the king's guard to round up all the magicians, including Daniel and his companions. And so they go to Daniel to take them, to put them to death, And Daniel, in that moment, does something absolutely extraordinary. I can't even imagine the kind of pressure or urgency or fear or frustration that Daniel was feeling in that moment when that that captain of the king's guard knocked on his apartment and said, come with me. We're rounding you all up. But what does the word of God say about Daniel's extraordinary, extraordinary response in verse 14 of chapter 2? Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the name of the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is this decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Remarkably, this 18-year-old young man with wisdom and calm and respect for the dignity of this captain of the king's guard asks him a simple question. Why is this so urgent? Daniel obviously wasn't in the know of all that was happening, but he, he responds with wisdom and calm and respect. We rail, don't we? That's our culture. We, we rail. We've been taught by our culture that when adversity comes our way and frustration boils to the top or anger or fear, fear comes to the surface, we rail, we yell, we scream. And this has been modeled by our most public and powerful leaders. We jab, we blame, we vent. Discretion, where is discretion these days? But remember one of the simplest words of wisdom given to us by King Solomon. This is Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Remember what James wrote, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 3? It's a powerful chapter, by the way. He says, the tongue is a fire. Tongue is a fire. In that moment, Daniel, Daniel could have said, why me? Why are you doing this to me? I wasn't a part of that original council. What do you think you're doing? I have my rights. How dare you do this to me? This is not fair. I mean, he could have gone off, obviously, uh, cultural differences and his knowing who the king's guard is. He might not have done that, but certainly that would have been the temptation, right? 
who are you to do this to me? I wasn't a part of this original dialogue with the king. How dare you do this? But no, what we find is Daniel, with incredible poise, calm, and respect, and discretion for the dignity of this king's guard to ask a question. And it allowed the king's guard the opportunity to tell Daniel what in the world is going on. And so the king's guard tells him exactly what's happening. Exactly what happened. He fills him in on all the details. And then we don't know how this next step happened. But then Daniel, uh, with discretion, requested an appointment with the king. We don't know if the king's guard went back and said, Daniel wants to meet with you. We don't know if Daniel had certain connections. We do know, based upon Daniel 1.9, that God gave favor to Daniel through these men. Right, These Babylonian leaders liked Daniel. And so maybe it was through one of those relationships. But we don't know how it happened. But somehow Daniel, this 18-year-old young guy who had given his allegiance and dedication to his God alone with great discretion and prudence, asking a question, led him to the place where he could ask for an appointment with the king so that he might interpret the dream. And he got his appointment. I imagine railing would never have led to something like that. Letting people have it. Venting in the moment. But Daniel succeeds. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Maybe it was because Daniel knew he wasn't a part of the original council of the magicians that met with the king. Maybe he could say to the king, you know, you didn't give me a chance. I don't know what he did, but regardless, he found himself having an appointment, likely the next day, to meet with the king. But what's incredibly extraordinary about this, this story so far is that Daniel, at this point, as far as we're aware, has no kind of relationship with God where God has designated him as a prophet. It's why the book of Daniel is not included in, in the prophets, at least initially, but as part of the writings. Uh, and the groupings of books in the Old Testament, because Daniel was never de de uh, declared by God to be a prophet in the same way that an Isaiah or a Jeremiah was. Uh, Daniel had no clue as to whether or not that his God, in his mercy, would reveal uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The only thing that Daniel knew about his God is this, is that my God speaks. My God reveals to his people. That's all that Daniel knew. And he knew that the gods of the Babylonians were deaf and dumb and, and could not relate to their people because they weren't gods at all. They were figments of their own imagination. He knew that their gods did not speak, but his God, his God spoke. And he says, give me some time. Give me some time. Make an appointment with the king. He makes an appointment with the king in order to interpret the dream. And what does, what does Daniel do next. Let me just, just pause for a second. Teenager. Teenager. Think about this. 18-year-old young man with wisdom and prudence and discretion is able to intervene in significant ways in the lives of other people. Potentially saving the lives of these other magicians and sorcerers and chanters. He was able to step up and do incredible, extraordinary 
things in the very heat of the moment. And our culture would have you believe that you're not really all that equipped to do those kind of things. Just, you know, wait till you become an adult. The Word of God says something very different to us. Is that you are in places in your life by the grace and mercy of God to do great and extraordinary things. Even beyond the expectations of our culture. Through the things that you say and the honor and respect and discretion that you use with your words and how you relate to people and being a blessing and serving others, you can be part of God's intervention in the lives of other people. He will use you as you use Daniel. But what does Daniel do? What does Daniel do? Give me some time. He has an appointment. Immediately, Daniel does the only thing that he knows to do. He says, I've got to go to my friends. And I've got to ask my friends to pray. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, Daniel goes to his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and says, I need my companions. I need you to pray with me for God's mercy because we're about to die if God doesn't reveal Nebuchadnezzar's dream to us and if we can't interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He gathers around his friends to pray. He has good friends. Begs the question, doesn't it? For us, for all of us, do we have the kind of caliber of friends in our life that will not just pray for us, but pray with us? Do we have the kind of caliber of friends that we can run to and say, there is, there is desperation, there is need, either personal or someone else that I know that that has a need, will you gather with me and pray? Do we have those kind of friends? Daniel, in a very tough place, had those kind of friends. I don't think that was by happenstance. I think that God put these men together for such a time as this. They needed one another. Daniel needed his friends to go pray for God's mercy. And that's exactly what they did. These young men pray together. They call out to the God of heaven to a God who speaks to men and relates to men. And then, chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. God revealed this dream of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, to Daniel. I don't believe that prayer moves the hand of God as if God requires us to move him along or inform him about events so that he can act or beg him to act. I don't believe that prayer moves the hand of God, but I do believe God has ordained prayer as it relates to his people. He has ordained his people to pray, and he acts in accordance to the ordained prayers of his people. And that's exactly what's going on. On This prayer was not knocking on the door of God and saying, God, wake up. Do you know what's going on? It's God beckoning, will you intervene through prayer? My people, come to me, and I will act in accordance to these ordained prayers. God reveals the dream, and then Daniel rejoices. We've already read this, but Daniel rejoices. He blesses the name of God who is forever and ever, who, to whom belongs wisdom and might who holds, who changes the times and seasons and the kingdoms and nations. He holds all that 
into his hands. He, he thanks and blesses a God who reveals truth in the darkness, who has uh, disclosed this matter to Daniel, the matter of the king. Uh, he glorifies God. He rejoices in God. Recently, I met with um, a friend of mine talking about his normal rhythm of connecting with God every day. And part of his normal rhythm was thanks, was thanks. I mean, Daniel was thankful that his God spoke to him to reveal uh, what he needed to know. He was thankful for God's mercy. He was thankful for God's providence and uh, that God knows all things and is forever and ever. Uh, Daniel was thankful. And I just imagine uh, these guys in that moment when God revealed that dream um, that they began to sing this song together of thanks and blessing and rejoicing in God. Um, and so my friend challenged me. He said, you know, a part of my normal rhythm of every day is, is to find five things that I can be thankful for. Five things. And I find a space in my day where I do this. I say thank you. What are five things you could be thankful for? What are five things, bearing in mind, Daniel here is in the toughest spot of his life. He's not in a cozy situation. Uh, he's been, uh, again, taken from home and family, new culture. Uh, things are not just fine and dandy for Daniel. And yet he finds opportunities to thank a God of mercy. Do you... Do you have time and do you have reasons to thank a God of mercy in your life, even though things aren't going all that great? Can you think of five things? Maybe that's a rhythm you can add to your own life. I'm certainly learning how to do that. But then in verses 27 through 30, Daniel finally makes it to his appointment before Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel, having the dream revealed to him, and at this point, God has already interpreted the dream uh, for Daniel. Um, he goes before the king, and this is just incredible. Here's this young guy before the king. And, and just bear in mind, um, King Nebuchadnezzar and other Babylonian kings have absolutely fulfilled the promise that they made to magicians and sorcerers who didn't do what they wanted them to do. I mean, even now, Daniel's life is on the line. Um, but he's in front of this king, life on the line. He is trusted in the goodness and mercy of his God, who alone speaks. And he tells the king, he says, I want you to know, I'm paraphrasing, by the way, uh, I want you to know that you're absolutely right that your magicians and sorcerers and enchanters and Chaldeans could never in a million years have known your dream and interpreted it. Not in a million years. He says that in front of the king. Essentially, he says, I just want you to know your council of wise men, uh, they might have wisdom of their own to share to you, but they don't counsel with the God of heaven and earth. They can't do what you ask of them. And in verse 28, I love this. This is the very centerpiece of this story. 
in verse 28, he says this, but there is a God. But there is a God in heaven who is the revealer of all mysteries. And he has revealed this matter to me. And this God has revealed this dream to you. Now that was pretty wise on Daniel's part, right? God is speaking to you. The God of heaven and earth is speaking to you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. Puffing him up just a little bit. But that phrase, but there is a God. A God who what? A God who speaks. Who speaks to men. Who has made himself known. Who has revealed himself. Let me tell you, we have a God who has gone to extraordinary lengths to reveal himself. We have God who has gone extraordinary lengths to reveal himself. Let me just mention a few. He has chosen to reveal himself in creation. Romans 1, 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has revealed himself through creation. He has revealed himself through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. These are God's words to us. He's gone to extraordinary lengths to reveal himself to us, his nature and his work and his creation and our purpose and his redemption. He's gone to extraordinary lengths to reveal mysteries to us through his son, Jesus. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He has gone to extraordinary lengths to reveal himself to us. Not to mention, even Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, he says, I've even tried to reveal myself to you and my love and steadfast love to you through marriage. Among other things in our life, we're the very light of the world because of the Spirit of God in us. God has gone to extraordinary lengths to reveal truth to us. And more than any other people on the face of the planet, we echo the words of Daniel, but there is a God who reveals himself. More than ever, the people of God with a word from God, must intervene in a wicked and hopelessly lost and dying world. There are people around you that you know, you know people by name who need a blessing, they have a need in their life, they need intervention, and more than anything, they need to hear from us. Yeah, I know, those, all those other things, they just fall short, don't they? They don't, they don't ease your pain and your desperation and your frustration and your anger and your fear. None of those things, even though they might be good in and of themselves, they fall short. But there is a God who speaks grace and truth. There is a God. And let me tell you, I know we're not in Daniel's situation. We have no idea what that's like. 
We have no idea what that's like. Some of you may, but the world will try to kill you, suppress you, silence you. And we are tempted to rail at the world and put it in its place, aren't we? But don't. The world doesn't need another weaponized voice. The world needs intervention, a gentle response, a group of friends who pray for a God to bring revelation, mercy, and blessing, a group of people, a church, who can gladly say to a world in need in the moment of need, but there is a God. But there is a God. I want you to consider that one or two people in your life right now that need to hear that from you. And maybe you've given them tremendous counsel in a lot of other different ways. But what they need to hear most from you are the same words that Daniel spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. And you're going to know that Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel had a long and complex relationship. But I believe that God's intervention and revelation into the life of Nebuchadnezzar began in this moment with, with his relationship with Daniel. We'll explore more of that next week, week. But those one or two people in your life, a person that needs to be blessed, a person that you know has a need, it could be a physical need or a spiritual need or emotional need, there are one or two people in your life that you know off right off the bat, I know they have a need. Will you intervene for them? Will you gather around people that are friends and compassions and you pray for them? And then will you posture yourself in a place in their life, an appointed time to say, but there is a God. There is a Son of God who is full of grace and truth and life. Will you do that? Will we be that kind of church? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, for the story of Daniel. What a remarkable, what a remarkable young man. And Lord, we're going to get to meet him one day, which is pretty cool. We're thankful for that. But Lord, I pray that you uh, instill in us the same courage and faith in you, knowing that you speak and reveal yourself to us so that we might be a beacon and light of blessing and the meeting of need in the life of another person, so that we can be interveners and save the lives of people. Help us to be like Daniel. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. One of the clearest and most beautiful ways that the church together can say those words with one another, but there is a God, is by observing the Lord's Supper, right? The Lord's Supper is that remembrance. One second. The Lord's Supper is that remembrance uh, for us of who the Son of God is and, and what He's done for us. It's that declaration that when we remember together, when we remember together, we say that there is a God who intervened for us, who has taken away the sins of the world, who brought restoration uh, to us when we were hopeless, he gave us hope. When we were joyless, he gave us joy. 
through Jesus, through the work of the Son who died for the sins of the world and rose victorious over sin and death. We say there is a God. So if you would join me in this communion liturgy, just read the words I will, I will read and then you will read in response. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? you may come forward on the night that Jesus was betrayed he gathered with these men these friends these companions whom he trusted and he broke bread with them uh, and when he broke bread he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup uh, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And for often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a moment, many of you already know our rhythm in our communion uh, together. We have four stations in different places in this room, the four corners of this space. Um, after I pray, I'm going to release you. Um, to go and take the cup and take the bread and return to your seat and when you're ready to take both elements on your own. Now this is what I want to ask you to do before you go to any one of these stations. Will you grab just two or three people around you and pray? Will you pray specifically for um, those people that need to hear a blessing for you or have need in their life a person that needs intervention, will you just quickly pray for them? I know you might not know everybody around you, so just take a few minutes, two or three of you. Families, you can invite people in with you, but just take a few moments, and after you've prayed together, and you can even pray out loud together. And you're all going to do it at the same time. When you're ready, after you've prayed with one another, I want you to go to your station. Get the elements and return and partake. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is our moment together where we declare with great joy in a lost and broken and wicked world, we say, but there is a God who has revealed himself through his son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin and the sins of the world that we might be restored and have new life. That's what we say in this moment. And may you be honored and glorified in that declaration in the same way that you were honored and glorified by Daniel when he spoke those words before King Nebuchadnezzar. But 
there is a God. Thank you for letting us do this today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.